this is another special podcast episode of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. In August of 2021, Council passed the Density Target for Market Choice of Housing Motion. It was drafted by Councillors Bershani, Hawkins, and Mole and called on City Administration to provide, quote, an analysis of the implications, benefits, and options for adjusting density targets to allow for market choice of housing, such as larger single-family homes or bungalow condo type. Well, here we are in July of 2022, and administration has provided their response in the form of the Density Target for New Neighborhoods report, in which they recommend giving council the discretion to change the density targets for certain development proposals. Specifically, their recommendation goes, quote, Administration recommends maintaining the overall intent of the current policy while allowing for concept plans and or secondary plans to establish a density requirement based on circumstance. Through a secondary or concept planning process, it may be reasonable to allow for a lower density requirement for certain areas based on unique circumstances. Vanessa Matthews is a geography professor at the University of Regina who studies urban spaces and planning issues. I spoke with her about this recommendation and more generally about urban sprawl and the city of Regina. I wanted to talk to you today about uh, urban density, its advantages, and in the context of we have sort of density targets set for the, for the city. And I, I guess they're like sort of gross light or net density targets of 50 people per hectare uh, in new developments. So, you know, where people are living minus any environmental uh, sensitive land or parkland. And this is this has been coming under fire from a few councillors with this density motion, uh, Councillor Hawkins, Councillor Brishani and Councillor Mole. Um, and you, you mentioned that you had looked at the result of that motion, the uh, the recommendation to sort of give council discretion about development. What I'd like to know from you is kind of a two-part question of, is density actually all it's cracked up to be? And does this, does this recommendation that we saw come forward on Tuesday, does it undermine that? What I would say is that, that density is really important, uh, especially in a city like ours where we don't have the population that we need in the core. Um, and so maybe I'll start with that. So um, as you're probably aware, we have our intensification target yeah. of 30% of new development going into the core established areas. Uh, we have been completely failing in that that target. I think we're currently at 11.2% mm -hmm. since 2014. Um, and certainly... 80, I think it's 88.8% .8 then that has been going to greenfield development. So density is really important in our core, and we have not been kind of meeting the targets that we're wanting, and I think that needs to be put into the context of thinking about density in greenfield sites. So we can't talk about density in greenfield sites without understanding the picture of our lack of intensification that's happening in the core. Yeah. Um, those two things are, are hand in hand for me. Um, so we certainly need to do everything that we can to try to grow 
density in established areas. And it's not as easy as just like throwing in density, of course. Yeah. It needs to be done in a really sensitive way. So we, we need to be focusing on, on transit corridors. We need to be um, integrating it wherever we can is, is what I think in a way that, that doesn't kind of affect the, the character or the scale in a, in a ways. Like obviously you can put more density um, along transit oriented kind of corridors um, along um, commercial strips. You might be able to add more density and then it's about creating more sensitive density in residential, like more residential areas. So uh, that we, we can see that with our laneway suites. Um, okay. We can see that with uh, creating multi-house um, units uh, within within that that kind of mix, uh, we have our 755 underutilized sites peppered throughout the city that I would love to see as a priority. Um, those are our vacant lots and our parking, our surface parking lots, mm-hmm. and that is completely destroying the ability for us to have vibrancy and accessibility and interest in the downtown and in all of the spaces that are in the established areas. Um, so we definitely need density, and we need density in the core. Now, when we're thinking about our expansion outward, um, what that's doing is it's pulling the ability for us to invest in the core kind of outwards. Yeah. Uh, and that that's going to happen, and we know that that's going to happen. But the extent to which that's going to happen, I think, is what's in question right now. Um, so the 50 people per hectare... Um, rate that we currently have for new neighborhoods basically assures that we're building complete communities and that we're building compact communities as well. That is a minimum that we need to be able to have public transit. Uh, in, In my view, we cannot be building anything outside of the core that doesn't get built to be able to have public transit. It makes no sense because then it's, you know, we're just not, we're not fulfilling our commitments if we're, we're building in those kinds of ways. So, you know, we, we can't be building large lots, low density, um, car dependent uh, developments outside of the city like that. It, it just stretches our finances. And, you know, we, people will say, well, you know, the property taxes are coming in and, and that will give you know, revenue to the city, but the cost of servicing each of those units outside of the core is much greater than the cost of servicing them if they're inside the core. Uh, and so we, we talk about the true cost of sprawl in in um, academia, right? And yeah. and that we're we're not properly costing these things because when we build a single family dwelling in a peripheral development, we have to pay for that that site every year in terms of like the cost of servicing it with um, with snow removal and road maintenance and garbage collection and emergency vehicles needing to go out and schools and all of the that big package of services and, and buses you know the connectivity and the the ability to, to service those those areas is far higher than it is if we're having development that's happening in the core. Um, so that's why we need to have a minimum standard in place, and and that's why we can never lower that, because as soon as we start to lower it, the cost of all of those things 
increase because then we're just building out further and further which is creating less connectivity it's creating more distance that we now have to to go to run all of our services basically so uh, in the report it talks about how we are surpassing that standard oftentimes so you know I I would say we should be raising it then if we're surpassing it already um, because that's the type of, of development that we're needing to see in those areas like we're really trying to get away from the single use um, sprawling uh, low density development that was really car dependent that that very much um, represented suburbia for for decades uh, and so that's why we've kind of shifted to this approach now mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's part of that intensification planning right if you're going to build something you build it so that people can live work and play in the same area and you build it so that we can connect to it and it, it makes more sense economically and socially and environmentally right um so that's i mean part of the the answer maybe to that and and we've just passed our our sustainability framework which doesn't have intensification or density as one of the big moves for it um but i think it's implicit in in what we're trying to do anyway my argument would be we can't do many of the things that are part of that framework unless we're we're actually um fulfilling our goals of of intensification and density it it does have public transit as one of the goals so i would make the argument that if we decided to amend the official community plan and allow the ability for flexibility with this target that we would be in in conflict with what we have just passed which is that you know we are committed now to public transit and if we can't get public transit for new developments that have less than 50 people per hectare uh, which is what they include in that report then to me we cannot build those developments it doesn't matter what special circumstances are are there um it just goes in it's in violation of that the mantra though of administration has always been uh so to go back to go back to the notion of you know the servicing of uh like suburbs and sprawl Administration assures us over and over and over again that growth pays for growth in Regina. That we have these servicing agreement fees, that uh, you know they 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 pay for the build out of this infrastructure. So that's not on the city, and then property taxes will handle the maintenance of that infrastructure. You live here, like, and we, like everybody here knows we have this infrastructure deficit of you know crumbling pipes, crumbling streets, like. How do you respond to administration's assurances that we, and and the Home Builders Association's assurances that our our greenfield development is managed and controlled and sustainable in Regina? Yeah, I I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, I I think that um, every, every bit of research indicates that you can't, kind of like we, we're still having to, to maintain them every year yeah. right so it's it's still going to cost us 
to be able to to reach all of those new residents to include them in part as part of the the connectivity of the city um, in a in a way that we wouldn't be dealing with if if people were living closer to the core if it was the case that that growth is paying for for growth and that we're this is hugely beneficial economically then we wouldn't have the crumbling roads that we are having in the core we wouldn't like we'd be seeing much more investment into the core if they've been like we've been going up in population whereas you know i know we've been building other things but i think that that would be helping to pay for the infrastructure in in the core kind of areas if if that was actually the case um and and instead we we included the you know i i always think about it as uh if you're thinking about um a house you want to be able to take care of every part of your house and you want to be able to assure that it has a a particular level of of um livability i guess in in your home and you you don't keep expanding out if you aren't kind of taking care of what's in the center um and if if you're not able to take care of what's in the center you can't just keep building rooms on because you're ne- you're never going to be able to 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 clean and to invest in the ways that you're wanting to do in the, the center of the home right yeah. um so you know i i still think that that we we have that yearly amount of of having to pay for those services and we are not seeing the investments that we need to be seeing in in core areas um so you know i I think we need to incentivize development in the core a lot more um to try to to shift that i think we we need to get out of this mindset that consumers only want to live in single family homes uh i think if if that's all that you ever present to people then of course it's going to be the the selling kind of thing on the menu right it's um we build them and they buy them and it's like okay what else are you building though and and you know what alternatives really exist for people and if if we're not including those alternatives then we're, we're never kind of breaking that cycle one of the catalysts for the motion that brought this report forward was uh, this this fear that was being stoked by some councillors that if we don't allow these big houses on big lots to be built, that we're going to lose property taxpayers to surrounding communities like White City mm-hmm. and Pilot Butte uh, that don't have such restrictive uh, density targets. Uh, how do you respond to that fear? Like, is it legitimate? I don't think it is. I think that the the costs, if we're thinking about this through a sustainability perspective, are are much higher for us if we continue to sprawl outward. Um, And it doesn't make sense for us to to be building in ways that that aren't hitting a minimum density target that would support public transit. Um, I think that that question came up by by Councillor Hawkins. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I would say is, like, maybe we need to look at how we because i think part of it was you know we're going to lose people to um to communities outside of regina and then they're going to come in and use our our facilities and and everything else and maybe we need to think about arrangements of of how we can work with communities outside of regina to to make sure that they are also kind of covering the costs of of that use um for people using things i i don't think that we should be chasing a particular type of development that fundamentally goes against our official community of 
community plan. I think if people want to move out of the city, people will move out of the city. And rather than trying to chase um, the consumer, I think we need to focus instead on thinking about what Regina can become and investing in that. When you invest in what your city can become and you put in all of that vibrancy and you create all of those different elements and activities, people will want to come, right? It's, it's not about chasing individual people. It's about building the best Regina that we can and then that then works to attract your consumer base. Cities are built on choices. They're always built on choices, and and we, we have to make the best decisions that we can make, and we, we make those decisions as a, as a council and as a municipality based on best practices and based on a vision of, of what we want the city to become. And that's not always popular, and that's okay. Um, it's not always popular with developers. It's not always popular with, uh, with um, consumers, but though that's being... But that's leadership, right? It's it's understanding the direction that that we need to be taking, and it's it's saying we need to invest in our future, and we are becoming a sustainable city by 2050. So I'm sorry, but we can't build large lot developments on the outskirts. If you want to move out of our our city, then you know you can. It's that's your your right to do that, or you can be part of something great, and we can make it more attractive for you to to live in in the core, and and we can build the city together in a way that that makes a lot more sense. Um, one of the things that came up in the report is that uh, the I think it was I can't remember what the survey was called. It was like a, a survey of like you know intention people who have like you know an intention to buy, and that the vast majority of people want to buy a single family home on a single lot, but then this was contrasted against the notion that most of the people who are looking to buy in Regina can't actually afford that. Yes. How do we, how does a city or like a community resolve this tension between the desire for, the desire for the perfect little suburban home with the, the need to build a different type of city? Yeah, I think it's it's a an interesting question because I think that people really buy into the that that idea of the the single family home and this has been a a construct for for decades that people have, you know, that's the 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 golden achievement is to to kind of have the single family home on on a lot and um, and I, I think that times are changing and, and affordability issues are certainly a part of of that as well as kind of thinking about sustainability and, and compact and complete communities um, and I, I think part of that is showing people alternatives uh, and and providing alternatives so that people can see different ways of living so if you if you're really accustomed to only understanding one way of, of living, the single-family home, um, and you're never presented with, like, other alternatives and you're not seeing a lot of that, um, then, you know, that that limits the, the potential for people to kind of shift over. So, you know, maybe, maybe we need to kind of think about different types of shared living environments and 
and in, invest in those. And most people that are wanting to get a single family home and, and can't afford it will, will likely go into uh, a different type of living arrangement anyway, uh, or they might, they might move further out. Um, but those are, are probably people that would be moving further out anyway if we don't have a good alternative, right? And um, but if if there if we have like provision of townhouses or, or multifamily units and, and we have different styles of that that might create different forms of communal living for people, then then that might be really attractive. And and if we can showcase what the potential might be for some of these things, then you know again that might be really attractive. And and there's there's other form. So, I mean, the, the tiny home uh, trend has, has happened, and, sure. and that provides people with the ability to have a smaller home on a kind of a shared um, a shared land. Uh, and that, that can be a really interesting kind of alternative that, that might exist as well. But I think it's, it's a hard one because it's not just an issue for here. It's, I think, an issue for, for many municipalities that people have that desire to have that type of, of of housing, that's their housing preference, I guess. Um, and, you know, I, I teach at the university, and it's been really interesting for me because I, I often ask this question uh, every year in my first year class. I'll say, if I could give you, you know, $500,000 and you could buy a house or a, a place that you want to live in anywhere in the city, what would you, like, what would you, um, where would you want to live? What would you want to buy? Um, and, you know, at, at the beginning when I would do this, I would, would get all different answers, so a lot of people wanting to move into the suburbs. And, um, and now I, I often am met with a lot of people who will raise their hands and say, like, we will never be able to own our own home. So even in this hypothetical situation, I don't feel like I can participate because I, don't, like, I know that our generation won't be able to do this. Um, and I, I think it's it's a moment of pause, right? And it's a moment of pause to say this this desire to have a single family home might not be sustainable in the future, and it it might be that we really have to highlight the different choices that can exist for people in a city so that that they're connected to the city, so that they're able to participate, so that we're not so consumed by private space. Um, I think our, our desire for private space has really increased through COVID as well. Uh, we're seeing that across Canada that people are wanting bigger homes, bigger lots, cottages, cabins, like all of those, all of that, those rates have increased uh, since COVID. And, and I don't know what's going to happen after. Um, it, it makes sense to me that people are wanting private space so that they can have more room to, to socially distance and, and they don't have to, to be in really um, in, in spaces where they, they feel too confined. But that's also a very privileged kind of way of looking at things. I think when we look at who is buying more space, when we look at who is able to get private space, you know, that, that's a, a very different market than people who are, are looking to, to be able to even have a home in, in the first place. And so I also think that we have to be really cautious right now in the city of Regina from departing from long-term goals in our OCP at a time when we can see across the country that people are wanting to have more private space.
Like, this is the time to invest more in public space, right? This is the time to say we need to actually invest in, in communal spaces for our population, mm-hmm. understanding that not everybody has a backyard, not everybody has a cabin or a cottage that they can escape to. Yeah. Um, like, we need to make those investments, and right now we have that opportunity in Regina to to make those investments in the city core. Um, we have lots of spaces to be able to do that. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's understanding that, that housing preferences will, will necessarily need to change um, and that we might be in a bit of a bubble right now still from, from COVID with this desire for, for large lot developments. And as, as you see interest rates going up, we might see a shift back from that. You know, I, I think we have to be really cautious to, to depart from long-term goals. Uh, at a at a moment when we know that we don't like we actually don't know how things are going to to shift. Um, there are places in the world that have already made this transition. They would have made it like you know two three hundred years ago when you know the, the the cost of sprawl became obvious, sort of intuitively, and people started to build their houses closer together in like Europe and Asia, and people started to like you know have these compact forms. Um, again, I think I've actually heard this at council that people who who live over there want to be here. That the aspiration is for what we have in Regina: these single-family, these big single-family homes on big single-family lots. In your experience, is that is that how things are? These are these people in these all these other communities everywhere else in the world where they do have these compact urban forms. Are these people miserable? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also think if, if everybody was wanting to, to come here, we would see much more population growth than, yeah. than what we're seeing as well, right? It, I think that, you know, we, we are going to get to that point of, of realizing that we can't continue to sprawl out. Um, I'm hoping with the, the commitment to a sustainability framework that that can happen pretty quick. Um, otherwise, we're not going to hit those goals. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it, again, it's that idea of what living in a single-family home means. And it's, it's so ingrained that even in our council, people think that this is the only way that people would want to live. Yeah. It's like, obviously, if people are living in, in different kinds of, of living arrangements, then they must be, you know, really wanting to come here and, and to see what we have. Um, so, you know, I, I think we, we need to look at, at mid-sized cities that are, are doing better than we are at intensification. I mean, last year we had a, a negative rate of intensification. Yeah. And, and, and that, like, for the for the core and that that basically means that we demolished more than what we built yeah and it's that is such an unsettling feeling that we have actually lost people because we are are doing so poorly on that front that negative growth rate yeah. um that puts us i was seeing an, a graph that it i think it puts us in the top two for the worst growth rates uh, across Canadian cities, and so it's you know we don't we don't want to be leading in as the the worst growth rates in a in a city um, at a time when when we are looking towards becoming uh, a more renewable city. It, it doesn't it doesn't kind of uh, work well with that image that we're we're also kind of uh, and the practices that we're trying to to champion. Um, 
Um, so I, I think that that we need to to think differently about how people live, about where people live, and and not not get caught in the cycle of. But we're building single family homes, and they are are being purchased, right? That that could be a supply issue. Then let's look at where where things are coming up. Yeah. Um, are people given the options to have different types of living arrangements? Um, and, and you know, we, we have to kind of break out of that. And I, I often hear the comparison as well of or the statement that, you know, but we're not Vancouver, but we're not Toronto, but we're not like all these other places. We can't do the same things as they can. And, and I, I find it really frustrating because I, I feel like, you know, what we need to be saying is, like, we are Regina. This is what we're capable of doing here. Yeah. You know, we are a winter city. We have this incredible opportunity, if you actually think about it as an opportunity, of having 755 vacant or underused sites throughout the city. Yeah. We have a downtown that's, like, mostly surface parking lots. Like, can you imagine what other cities would do with that? Like, we can, we can think about what we want to become and that that's like that's actually a huge opportunity and if we do that and if we do it right then then you know people aren't going to be wanting their large lot developments on the outskirts of the city because they're going to want to be close to to what we've built and to to what we have become i think this is going to pass uh, the uh, the the density motion, uh, the the discretionary density for council at um, at council eventually. Um, I think the goal with this report, if I if I can read between the lines, is that administration was trying to um, thread a needle to like sort of like strike a compromise between maintaining their density targets and providing council with providing council with some discretion so that councillors who are not comfortable with that density target uh, won't undermine it anymore because they will they'll feel like they have the opportunity to. Uh, uh, step outside the density target when council feels it's necessary. If slash when this passes, is this is this a disaster or is it just a step in the wrong direction? I think it's a very large step in the wrong direction. Okay. I think you can't be you can't have a goal of becoming a one hundred percent renewable city and at the same time support low density developments. Period. Right. It's it, it. You can't create that opening to happen if you're actually wanting to move ahead with with becoming a sustainable city. Um, you know, I, I think the other point that I would make is that we're supposed to be going into a ten year review of Design Regina, yeah. which is I think to start in a matter of months. Yeah. Um, why we would pull out one thing like this without understanding the broader context is beyond me. I think it's a, a huge mistake to to amend our official community plan outside of a timed review where we have consultation and we have the time to discuss and think about different options alongside how it becomes intertwined with other things that we're doing. Um, so, you know, my, my preference would be if we're going to have these conversations, let's, like, hold off until we have that 10-year review. Um, and then... The other thing is, like, we're not 
building in the ways that we have committed to build, if we're, we're creating these spaces where it's like, well, you know, it, if, it's okay if we're going to build next to a golf course and, you know, maybe this issue will come up. And like, there's, to my understanding, there's no, like, there's no immediate proposals that are, that are pushing for this. Yeah. So why we would depart from from goals that came through community consultation that came from years of working together on on the the official community plan is 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 not i think the direction that we're wanting to go in i i look at a, an ocp our, our design regina plan as a contract right it's a contract between right. the city and the people it's saying this is how we're planning to grow and develop this is where we are seeing the future of the city when you take things out of that that don't that don't fit with our overall goals, then I think that you're starting to to put doubt in a population, right? It's like, well, what is the meaning of this official community plan then? It's it's like sometimes we need to follow it, sometimes we don't need to follow it, sometimes we can make decisions that that go against other commitments that we're making. Um, I think it's a, a fundamental shift in in the way that we would be proceeding with something, and and I'm I'm sure that people will say, oh, that that seems really extreme. Um, um, but it's it's really extreme that we added 81 people into our downtown yeah. since 2014, and it's really extreme that we're supposed to be hitting a, a rate of 30% intensification in established areas, and we are currently at 11.2. Yeah. That's extreme, too, right? Yeah. So I think until we hit a point where we are able to kind of shift in how we are growing and how we are developing, then we can't have those other conversations about scenarios that may or may not come up. Thanks to Vanessa Matthews for taking the time to speak with me. The Queen City Improvement Bureau will be back next week for our regular meeting. Music for this episode of the Queen City Improvement Bureau and every episode is by Ryan Hill, a.k.a. Guidewire. I've been your host, Paul DeShane. Keep on improving, Regina. Regina.